Assalamu alaikum everyone. Assalamu everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Lifesaver by Islamic Relief UK. Here we're tackling some big questions we have about aid in the 21st century, finding out what it takes to save a life and exploring how faith factors into all of this. I'm Nabila. And I'm Sarah. And today we're speaking with the director of Islamic Relief UK, Tafel Hussain. Salam Tafel, thank you for joining us. Assalamu alaikum. So we wanted to have a discussion with you today about the subject of purpose. Um, I think when people think about kind of what they want to do with their lives and how to make it meaningful, it's so common to default to something like the third sector. Um, but we know that you've had quite a journey getting to where you are uh, professionally. So we'd love to understand what it means to cultivate purpose in life through that lens and also um, through the lens of faith. Um, will you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do here at Islamic Relief UK? Peace be upon you all. My name is Stefan Hussein. I'm the director at Islamic Relief UK. We work with the community to raise vital funds for our life-saving projects across the world. Uh, we also lead impactful advocacy campaigns within the UK. And we, we help deliver domestic programs to support people in need here in the UK. So Tafel, would you mind also just kind of expanding on how you got into the third sector? Because I know that you've been in the sector for 16 years now, mashallah, but you pivoted quite a few times quite drastically. Yeah. So up to the age of around 21, I was leading quite a selfish and vain existence, really. Um, didn't really care about anyone but myself and was, as a result, in a very dark place. Um, I, I was suffering from depression, from insomnia. I remember I, I couldn't. I used to struggle to to sleep. I used to wake, you know, come out of bed at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was a very, very dark place for me at that time. And then I found faith. Um, I, I was brought up in a Muslim family, but I never appreciated my faith. And there were there were a couple of hardships that led me to seeking a solution to my difficult situation at that time. And the solution for me was was my faith and Islam. And it opened me up to a new world. It gave me a, a deep sense of purpose. Uh, I felt like, you know, there was meaning to my life. I felt like, you know, there was a reason why I'm on earth. Whereas before I was just aimlessly, just, you know, traveling, wandering, didn't know what I was doing and was never satisfied. Always felt like there was a huge burden on my shoulders. And so when I found faith, it was liberating for me. Um, and you know, initially some of those hardships immediately disappeared and that was almost like a miracle for me. And and that just further strengthened my faith. And then I went on a journey. Um, so, you know, you don't start off sort of uh, as a scholar or as a person that knows, you know, understands the, the, the sort of the deeper meaning of faith. And I went on a journey of learning. And as I was going through this journey, I, I, I mean, that time I managed, because I, I'd, I'd quit university, by the way, before the age of 21, I, I'd managed to get back into university got my degree. And then I started my career in the, the Learning and Skills Council. And it felt great because I, I, you know, I felt like I was doing something meaningful, helping local young people that were sort of at risk of not, um, you know, not getting into further and higher education. It was great, but it just didn't, it was, you know, I was living a very nice life. I had my own house. I was getting home by 5.30 in the evening. It was, you know, it was peaceful. It was lovely, but I just felt like I needed to do something more. And, and I remember around that time, I, there were there were two experiences that I went through that really shook me to my core. And and the first one was I, I saw, um, and this was before really um, social, we didn't have social media in those days. And I, re I received an email which, which documented the suffering of Palestinian children. And I just couldn't believe that people could be treated in such a way. It was really detailed. It was, it was quite gruesome. And that lit a spark in me 
And then around the same time, uh, the Gujarat riots were happening. And uh, the BBC carried this story, this horrific story about the, the brutal treatment of women um, in India and in Gujarat um, by, by, by these extreme you know, um, terrorists, really. Uh, and it, 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 I, I gave charity, but I felt I had to do something. I felt I had a responsibility to do something, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, and then something else happened around that time, and that my uncle in Pakistan asked me to uh, do some fundraising for a mosque in, Pakistan, in, in his village. And I'd obviously just come into the faith, and I was like, you know, I was still known as a bit of a naughty boy in, in my hometown. You know, there was a lot for me to mend some of those burnt bridges from when I was younger. So I, I was a bit reluctant to do the fundraising, but uh, when I actually started, I was, you know, I was pretty good at it. I raised, I raised a lot more than what was uh, than what was needed, and of course, all of that went to the mosque. And I really enjoyed it. You know, that sense of like actually achieving for such a noble cause, it it it, it inspired me. And so all of this happened at the same time, and I, I was thinking, what can I do? What can I do to to help people in need across the world? I'm not a doctor. I'm not an engineer. But it, like I said, it all sort of culminated at the right, all these experiences came together at the right time and pushed me to a career in the charity sector. I felt that, you know, maybe that's something I can do. I, I, I had experience in marketing. I was a campaigns manager and I thought maybe that's something I can do. So then I started this journey of applying for every single role. My passion was to get into an Islamic organization because that's because of my faith. And I wanted to work in, a, in an Islamic environment and, and something that would you know, help me to further develop my spirituality. And so I, I started applying for every role, uh, for every, you know, whatever charity I could recognize. And the two that really, when I did my research, it was Muslim Aid and Islamic Relief that really were the, were the, were the biggest organizations at the time. And so I, I, I started applying, didn't get very many responses. And then uh, I went to Hajj, and the dua that I kept asking, the dua that I kept asking was, Ya Allah, please get me into Islamic relief or Muslim aid. Islamic relief or Muslim aid. And, um, you know, and I came back, and, and I, I finally got an interview at Muslim aid. Islamic relief still didn't come back to me, by the way. Um, finally got a, uh, an interview at Muslim aid, and that interview was just such a funny, funny experience. Um, the, 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 the person that was being interviewed before me, he, when he came out of the room, someone quite famous in our community uh, and he was almost like having a laugh and a joke with the person that interviewed him so they were both coming out sort of laughing i thought well what what what, what chance do i have against someone like him i went in there so it actually took the pressure off really and i went in and did the interview and i didn't hear anything back for a couple of weeks kept chasing this this guy called dr Mohammed crossin who was the assistant ceo at the time he's now at islamic relief lovely guy uh and uh it, you know, kept phoning him, kept bugging him, uh, but he never, you know, he was obviously too busy. And then after, I think, two, two and a half weeks, he came back to me and told me that I didn't get the job. And that was heartbreaking for me, absolutely heartbreaking for me. I remember where I was when I when I got that call. Immediately, I felt like, you know, sort of almost like the enthusiasm sucked out of me. Uh, but very quickly, I picked myself up and thought, OK, fine, that's a challenge. It's a test. You know, I need to, I, you know, I'm not going to give up that easily. Muslim Maid reached out to me again and said, look, would you like to come in for an interview? We've got a, a role, a fundraising officer's role. I thought, why not? You know, I, I didn't see why not. I was actually very excited. So I, I went and did the interview and I, I thankfully got the job. I got the job and, uh, and I started my role 
uh, it was the first Friday after the, the July the seventh attacks. It was a horrible place to come to London at, at that time. It was just eerie. It was just you know. I remember the my first day. There was a, a hoax bomb call to to the London Muslim Centre, which is where I was working. Uh, it was so it was just like it was like it was like a community under siege, and that was that was the day that I started my role at, at Muslim Aid. But it didn't matter. It, you know, none of these challenges mattered. Um, you know the, the the challenge of me sort of and, and by the way I'd I'd been applying for it well over a year and didn't you know was struggling to get a job in the sector, but I didn't care and and at that time I would have taken any role in the charity any role because I had a sense of purpose, I had a passion because of that sense of purpose, and uh, you know for me it was uh, first my my faith gave me a, a deeper sense of purpose which was to please God everything starts to be put into perspective right you know you start to understand why you're here and one of the things that my faith taught me was about compassion about helping others in need about you know putting others before your own needs and and it was that that led me to a career in the sector and and that thankfully is what has driven me in the sector now for the last 15 years 15 16 years 16 years sorry without that sense of purpose i would have given up i probably would have applied to a couple of a couple of times and would have given up but i didn't it, it it drove me, it motivated me to, to, to get a job in the sector, and I did. And, and I love, and I've loved every, there have been some difficult times, of course, um, uh, but those difficult times, they, they help to build resilience and to build character. Um, but overall, I've loved every moment. I've loved every experience within the sector, and, and I'm thankful to God for giving me the ability to, to work here. That's obviously quite a success story and everyone's always happy to hear, you know, someone coming through some kind of existential difficulty and realising what they want to do with their lives and actually getting there. But I'm sure there have been many points in that path of yours where you have had to reassess what your intention is and, mm. and what purpose is and what that thing is that anchors you in the role that you're, you're currently in. Would you be able to tell us, as somebody who directs this huge NGO that has projects all over the world and has purpose basically written into their everyday lives, how you now understand it? Um, sense of purpose is something quite personal and I think you have to go on a journey to understand what your why is. There, there are lots of courses out there that can expedite the um, how to reach or understand your why. Uh, but for me, it was a very organic process. Uh, and, and, and for me, it has to be anchored into, into a deeper sense of purpose. And for me, that deeper sense of purpose is my faith, Islam. I believe that we are sent down to this earth to first and foremost to please God. And what do we have to do to please God? We have to live as good human beings. We have to help others. We uh, we have to we we just have to have good character. We have to be good people, and and of all the different elements of faith that really, uh, and of course our faith is perfect. It's beautiful and it's changed my life. But of all the elements that really, I felt I felt most passionate about it was about helping others, helping those that are in need. So I've always had that in my character, and then faith really allowed me to sort of give some some rules to it, some direction, and that sense of purpose was created, and that was to help others in need. And so for me, the sense of purpose has to have an element, or not, not, not just an element, but has to be about making the world a better place, about changing the lives of others, because there's too much hurt in this world, there's too much pain, there's too much suffering, and... That for me is something that 
I find unacceptable. When I hear stories of, you know, children suffering in Palestine or in Syria or in Yemen, it hurts me. It still hurts me till today. You know, it's it's I've not lost this, and that that for me is, you know, that that for me is really the essence of purpose. That's it's about changing the world, making the world a better place, and about helping people that are that are in pain, that are suffering, that are in need. Um, so to fail, like we spoke about how as a default, um, generally, if people are kind of searching for purpose, they tend to turn to the third sector. Um, I wondered if you could shed a little light on um, if, you, if you're not working in the third sector, how do you then gain purpose in within your career? How do you then find your why? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're all we're all made different. Right. And we all will therefore have a different purpose in life. Um, we will have different experiences, how we're brought up, that will, that will in, in essence, you know, guide our character. Um, where you're born, you may be open to certain opportunities, you may have people around you that uh, are in a certain trade that will inspire you to go into that field of work. Whatever you're doing, it's, you know, I think you, 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 need, to be, you need to be inspired by, by our faith and, and fundamentally. And, and if you are, then you will find a way to please God through what you're doing. Okay, that could be through um, building a bridge to help people. If you're, you know, you could become a structural engineer and, and help to build a bridge for their travel to be made easier. When whatever trade you're in, you can always find a way to please God through it. Now, I, I, I was just in the park, um, sitting there, just just relaxing and reflecting, and which you never get to do in London, by the way. Uh, and it was a chap that walked past, and he was he, had, he was cleaning the bins in the streets. And, and I looked at him, I thought, you know, if he can make this a career or uh, something that would please God, how? So if you're cleaning the streets, have the intention to clear, to make people feel great about their surroundings, to make people feel happy. Or you could clear obstacles, like, for example, banana skin. You pick that up with the intention to please God, to save someone from harm, then you are rewarded. Right. Uh, and so it, it, look, I think you need to find you need to find the why in whatever you're doing. And really, it's you, you look back to faith, but back to uh, back to what what does please God? We know charity pleases God. We know that, um, you know, being honest, uh, being righteous, helping others um, through advice, through guidance, through through charity. There are so many different ways that we can please God and. We c- there is always a way for us to find that why by looking back to our faith, learning and understanding, contemplating, and then in our mind, really having the, in- the right intention. And if the intention is right, then you will be rewarded, but you would also be blessed as well. Uh, and-, and blessings are sometimes unseen. You may be sort of saved from a calamity, but blessings certainly are something that you know gives you peace of mind. I remember what my life was like before faith, but after faith, I had after the sense of purpose. After I, I had peace of mind. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't have that sort of never-ending burden, which you know just was just keeping me down all the time. So you can find the why. Um, for me, because I'm a, I'm a Muslim, I would say that you know you, you need to look back at your faith and, and understand that because that for me is the ultimate purpose and then from there find the why in your career 
Um, I, I've loved, I love what you said to Fel about finding the why within anything you're doing. Um, it requires so much introspection and reflection. Um, I remember Sarah and I both met some years ago working at a modest fashion company. Um, and I remember that that was sort of my first full time um, kind of gig following graduation. And I would go home each day thinking, what am I really doing to benefit society? And am I is my job like quote unquote good um and I I just I'm just thinking a lot about what you said about um even a structural engineer that they're building a bridge and subhanallah like our our religion is so merciful that you know you get it, it, it you'll be rewarded for building that bridge and making it easier for people to go home to see their family to see their children mm. um which is which is really incredible um when you really kind of reflect on it um, and I think it just comes back to just really reflecting and trying to find the good. Yeah, yeah. So understanding how you, you, the role that you play will ultimately benefit the people that we serve, it requires reflection. And if you reflect, then you will understand that if you didn't share that social media post, people no, may not be made aware of your efforts. So never underestimate that. And, and I, will, I can give you an example of, I, I was in Somalia. I met a lady that had lost four of her children on her journey to find water and it was just a horrific story and I just decided to just send a text to I can't remember the number just just wanted to share what I what I'd experienced that one message raised over 150,000 pounds 150,000 pounds for Somalia Uh, you never underestimate the impact of your efforts um, I would also say one thing. So you mentioned there about you know your role in the fashion industry. I'm not going to say that's halal, halam, halam or halal or whatever. That's not for me to say, right? I just want to sort of you know provide some context about for about what, what I'm about to say. But you could be in a role which could be considered haram. Um, uh, but even in that, Allah is merciful, right? So I remember when I first came into the faith, I was working in a bar, and it was difficult for me to leave immediately. And I spoke to someone that was more knowledgeable than I, and I said, look. I can't leave at the moment because I need a job. I need I need something. I need some sort of income. And he said, "No problem. Ma- try your best to find another job, but whilst you're there, you know, make sure that you know you have the intention that from the earnings that you make, you will give zakat." Okay. Now I I don't know some some scholars may may sort of differ on that opinion, but for me, it just you know it it was for me that was someone that was new into faith. I found that quite enlightening, and and I you know it was just like it just showed that. Our faith is so pragmatic, right? That reminds me of something that one of my teachers, um, she and I were having a conversation about. Sometimes you look at others' trajectories and you think, oh, maybe they're a bit questionable relative to you know what we're taught in Islam or maybe they're a bit questionable relative to my own personal standards. Not only is it a breeding ground for being judgmental, but it's also just you don't, you really don't know where somebody, somebody's purpose lies. Yeah. And, and you cannot judge that by where that person is or where you are there are so many times I sit and think oh, I'm like I'm not where I'm supposed to be I'm not doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing I'm not impacting lives like who knows yeah. what, what my future holds but most importantly is that I'm already impacting just by being and, and I think also the other thing that I thought of was this hustle versus buttercup culture off the back of what Nabila said earlier about where we've previously worked um I think Startup, startup, startup. Yeah, <laughs> it's just been like it's exactly that. I only mm. ever worked in startups when I left university, and it, even though they were Muslim startups, and there was a sense of spirituality imbued in, like mm. you know, some of the work that we were doing, it was so easy to fall off all the time. 
especially because it's so fast paced. It's just mm. the nature of it. Um, and, you know, this is the first, this is my first stint in the third sector as well. And I think that um, like purpose is pretty much written on the walls and it's it's still, even though I'm like, like quote unquote, finally here, I still find myself struggling. I guess it's like going back and finding your why all over again. Yeah. Like you have to constantly remind yourself again and again, what is your why? Yeah. To fail, like how do you, how do you find that sense of renewal of intention or like what, what's like the fastest way to put you on that track? Because mm. especially as the director of IRUK, you will no doubt come across even more sensitive kind of material than than I do on a daily basis you have so much more responsibility that, that uh, it's common I, I see I, it's happened to me as well um when I when I first came into the sector I, I you know it's very easy to to lose the why because we live in a world where we just we have so much information being downloaded we we come into the charity sector we have these objectives a lot of these objectives and metrics are to do with raising funds so it's a figure and you can quite easily lose the why so it's it's important to constantly reflect and to remind. I, I, I tend to read about what's going on on the ground um, and about especially our work so that I understand the impact that we're having. I, I will I will watch the YouTube videos of our work on the ground that, that, that you know that are being shared. I'm also quite fortunate that I go to the field a lot. So I, I, I really immerse myself in that experience. Well, I would try and hear, listen to their stories um, and to reflect and my first objective of course is to understand the story to bring it back and to, to share with others but it really for me you know th there's a, there's a fundamental um objective for me to maintain that why that i have that sense of purpose so i i, I do this to constantly reflect and to remind and what i will also do is i will also share what i have with others because that also helps to reinforce you know the the the, the what you've learned and so therefore to maintain that why and so that's what I tend to do. When you share with others and you remind, uh, I think through that you're also blessed as well. Uh, you know, it's a good deed that if you do it with the right intention, then you will be blessed. And inshallah, you know, through that blessing, that sense of purpose, one of many uh, benefits is that sense of purpose is, is strengthened and maintained. Um, I also think it's very important to have mentors. And it's very easy to lose perspective when you're under pressure. Uh especially in, in, in the charity sector, because it's just, it, it can be such a stressful role. Mm, I think this is something that we can all resonate with. And, you know, someone such as yourself, Tafel, who you've had so much experience in the third sector on mm. the ground and have probably witnessed some really kind of devastating and horrific scenes, um, you know, out, out on the ground. And um, wh what other kind of misconceptions have you had to, um, about the third sector specifically, mm. um, have you come across before, um, your career here and what changed? Um, so when I, I joined the sector obviously a long time ago, 2005, and at that time, you didn't have the same level of cynicism that you have today. And I think social media has, has, has I think, contributed to that. In, in those days, charities were actually looked upon as, uh, a, a, you know, as organizations doing a great job, a very noble cause. And... Unfortunately, after joining the sector, what's happened is that now you, you see a lot more charities joining the sector, new charities being created. Um, you see a very aggressive fundraising approach. And unfortunately, with little transparency and feedback. And so the cynicism that's been created is our fault. We've taken 
our donors' generosity for, for you know, we're taking it for granted, right? We've, you know, donors are giving their hard-earned cash to help people in need, and we're not telling them how it's being used, or we're not doing it good enough. And so you're going to create cynicism. You know, if if you, you have donors that are getting five, six mail packs on the first day of Ramadan, that's going to annoy them. And and so I understand the cynicism in the in the community. If they're not if they don't understand clearly what we're doing with the money, it's going to create that vacuum for cynicism, right? So it's our responsibility, and 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 I've and I've seen that increase over time in the sector, um, and we've tried to change that at Islamic Relief. I I don't believe we're we're there yet. I think there's a lot more that we can do to you know, to, to give more sort of timely feedback to our donors. And it's something we, we, we I think, improved certainly over the last couple of years. And we've seen as, as a result that donors, of course, are, are more likely to be loyal to the charity if we can show them how their funds are making a difference on the ground. Because they're good human, they, you know, they're good people. They, they're giving this money and they want to see how they're making a difference. And so for me... The cynicism, I understand why it exists and the fault is ours. Also with that, we as charities have had our fair share of, you know, um, difficulties and challenges. Um, some that have been well documented. That doesn't help with trust. So we, working in a charity, it's an amana for us. We have to ensure the best level of governance. We have to ensure the best level of transparency. We have to conduct ourselves in the best way possible. Um, we have to. We are. Uh, you know. We are. We're servants to the community, and also to people in need. And we must never forget that. And it's very easily forgotten in the sector because it's a sector where you're almost given a platform. You know. There's. Um, you know. You're, you're able to raise a lot of funds. And 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 you can quite easily forget the purpose and the role that we, we are supposed to play. And so therefore, we've had these controversies over the last few years, and that, that has also contributed to, to cynicism. So we, you know, we need to ensure that our values are strong in organizations, to that, and, and these values are you know, inculcated within the organization, within the team, and, and it drives them you know, in, in the right way. But of course, humans are humans, despite even if you had the strongest of values, even if you had the, the strongest level of governance, humans are fallible, and they will make mistakes. And unfortunately, there is a huge microscope on charities, rightly so, because we are, we are, you know, we are, we are servants to the public, we are servants, because you know, we're, we're there to provide a service, right? We're, we're there to bridge the gap between people here that that, that have the ability to help with people in need in 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 the field or wherever they are, and and so I understand that sort of increased um, focus on us, um, but therefore we 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 need to be whiter than white. We need to ensure that we are uh, we we need to display model behaviour, and it's something that's got to be inherent in us. You can't you can't sort of you know come into work and sort of, you know, act like an angel, but then go away in, in the evening and, you know, do things which are, you know, against, which are unethical. 
So, so it's um, yeah. There, there is. I, I've seen this um, cynicism increase in our community, and I think that I think it's a good thing on certain levels because it can help us to improve. We, uh, what, what we, I, I'm maybe being a bit hard on the sector, but we also need to remember that the Islamic sector is relatively new compared to the mainstream, and so these organisations have grown really overnight, uh, and. Unfortunately, the processes and governance haven't kept up to pace with the growth of income coming in. And sometimes, you know, as a result, it has led to issues. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the cynicism will certainly help us to... It, it's almost like a, a gauge for us to, to understand what we need to do to improve. And so we, we need to take it in the right way, embrace it, and learn from it and improve that's important. And that, you know, when it, coming back to faith, humans are made fallible, right? And Allah, Allah is merciful. Allah forgives all sins except, of course, you know, uh, the, the sin of bringing someone on the level of God. And so we try our level best. We may sometimes fall. We may sometimes make a mistake. But it's important to, to learn from that mistake and to improve. And, and so, yes, cynicism is there. It's increased certainly in my 16 years. I'm not responsible for it personally, by the way. I, I, I know it's increased over the 16 years, but I believe it's, it's down to us that, that cynicism exists. And, and I think that cynicism can be a force for good because it can inspire us to improve our services to um, the people that we serve here uh, through, uh, through our donors and ultimately our, our main bosses, right, the people we serve, people in need. So on that note of how things have kind of evolved in the third sector and the kind of spotlight that we put on ourselves as people who serve the community, I was wondering if you have any insights that you'd like to share with us from your personal life as well, because I know that um, you have got quite a poignant story, mashallah, and some very powerful examples of how you have overcome certain difficulties. Um, would you mind sharing some of those with us? There, there have been moments in my life that that have sort of almost disrupted what I was doing but have after reflection later on in life I found that they, those were moments where I really developed where it really helped me to sort of springboard in terms of my 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 journey towards my my goal my purpose and they're usually hardships they're usually difficulties in life at the time of going through these difficulties, it's um, it's not a very nice place to be. But what I've tended to do is I've tended to reframe them, to look at them as a blessing from God, as an opportunity to to learn and to develop. Because if it wasn't for that hardship, you may have been pushed into an action that you otherwise wouldn't have taken. Uh, or it, it also, you know, it pushes you as a as a person, right? And pushes you outside of your comfort zone because you're never going to learn anything inside your comfort zone and so hardships are I, I believe in my in my life those were the moments where when I look back at my life those are the moments that really have helped me to develop as a person and I've got quite a few of them <laughs> uh, but alhamdulillah I, I always say alhamdulillah to God um, it was hardship that led me to faith you know, I remember the the hardship of my daughter being born with medical issues. Uh, you know, she she was going to be stillborn. She was 
whisked away from us in Swindon, taken to Oxford to have immediate surgery performed. She was my first daughter, Zainab. And she wasn't going to survive. And I remember that hardship and it changed me. It, it, you know, it, it allowed me to, uh, there's so many lessons from it. One of the lessons, it was allowed me to appreciate the gifts that God has given me. Um, and the most difficult hardship I've had really, I've had was, was losing my son. Where, and you know, he was, he was our youngest at the time. And we had so much hope for him and God took him away. And, and I remember that at the time it was just so difficult. It was actually, it was the, the most difficult thing I've ever experienced. To lose a child that you expect to out, outlive, a child that you have so much hope for, you've made plans, and to suddenly lose, and you know you love. There's nothing more that you don't love anything more than your children in life. And or you know once you have children, everything becomes. It's about them. It's about ensuring that they are. You know you you live your life in a way that they can maximize on their potential. And then to suddenly have that taken away was extremely difficult. Went through a very, very difficult time. But I was still, because of my faith, able to try and reframe it in a positive, despite the challenges, despite the difficulties. And it took me three years to get over that, that loss. But I was still able to frame it in a positive way. And, and the way that I was, you know, that was, I, I you know, I was, I, I, I was convinced, not convinced, but I know that, you know, God took my child and he's in heaven. So he's made it, right? He doesn't have to go through the trials of life. Um, and and I know that God will reward us in a, in a way, some way, I don't know how, but and we leave that to God. But as a result of that experience, again, it, it allowed me to refocus on my children and to understand how, you know, how I need to cherish the time that I have with them. Working in a sector you can very easily, that can very easily be forgotten because you're so busy. You go home and you're on your phone. You're checking your emails. Um, uh, or, or, you know, you may be sort of away from your family for weeks on, sometimes weeks on end. I, I remember when I first joined the sector, I didn't go home for like six weeks, I think. I didn't see my child, for, my, my youngest, who was Fatima at the time, when I went home, she ran away from me. And she didn't recognize me. And I, and I thought that, that, that sort of experience changed me a little bit at that time. But when I lost my son, it, it changed everything for me. And, and so I, I made rules in my life about how to be, have better balance in my life, which I think has really benefited us as a family. So, you know, I, I can share with you what those rules are. It's, you know, if it was up to Islamic Relief, I'd be away every evening at an event, right, or, or a meeting. But I've made a rule. I said, um, three days in the week, I will go home. I will leave at the appointed time to go home to be with my kids. Two days in the week, you have me 24-7, Islamic Relief. You know, I'm there. But I will not eat into those three days, unless if it's an emergency situation, humanitarian situation, that's an emergency campaign, or Ramadan. Those are the only times where I say to my kids or my family, goodbye, I'm not going to see you for a little while. But apart from that, I have this rule. So I go home and I make sure that I spend that hour or two with my family, with my kids. Uh, so it's allowed me to have a better balance. It's allowed me to appreciate my children more because, I, you know, you just don't know what could happen tomorrow. Also, as a result of that hardship, I met Islamic Relief. I would never have joined Islamic Relief if I didn't go through that hardship. I was at, I was at an organization. It was a startup, it was, it was orphans in need. I, I enjoyed my work there. It was, I 
it was a great challenge. We did some wonderful things there. And it, I never contemplated leaving. But when I went through this experience, I went through a very difficult time. I lost my motivation, which which led me to, uh, and without motivation, I'm not the same person. And so I, I, I spoke to a trustee. I said, look, I don't think I'm doing justice to the role. And I was, I was a CEO of the organization at the time. And I said, look, I need to, I'm handing in my resignation because, you know, I, I need to go away. I need to reflect. It was that difficult for me. It was such a difficult time. And then, subhanAllah, you know, Islam Rikudif called me in the same week. <laughs> they didn't know that I'd left, by the way. They didn't know I'd left because it wasn't made public. Uh, and, yeah, the um, uh, the director at the time called me and said, look, um, cheekily said, you know, you need to come and do some real work now. <laughs> uh, and, and so I ended up after 11 years of working in the sector in the organization that I originally wanted to work for after 11 years. In my first speech at the, in, in the staff at staff meeting, I said, you know, <laughs> it would have been easy to get me back in 2005. But anyway, alhamdulillah, I'm here now. Uh, it was uh, so so you know y you need to find when you go through the hardship it can be difficult and and so you you need to find the positives in that you need to reframe it and look at it as a blessing allah loves us more than our mothers okay so he's not going to make us go through anything which is not going to be a benefit to us ultimately and difficulties are there to bring us closer to faith bring us closer to god to reaffirm, you know, those those principles, but also to build resilience and to develop character. Now, as a leader, um, or anybody that's you know looking to develop themselves, the more responsibility you assume, things will go wrong. Right? If you take a risk on something, if you push yourself outside your comfort zone, there is an increased chance of things going wrong. Right? So, therefore, resilience is such an important thing for leaders to have. Because as you, as you progress in, in your career or in your life, you'll start to face more challenges. But if you're resilient, if you've built a certain level of resilience, it will allow you to handle and manage that stress and that difficulty better. So an example is when the pandemic hit, it, the lockdown was about to be announced, I think, what, three, four weeks before Ramadan? Our most busiest period. A couple of weeks, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, right? Our busiest period. We'd been, you know, we'd, six months of planning went into this Ramadan campaign. And it's, you know, it's, it's the month where, you know, we, we bring in 40% of our income, annual income. Other charities bring in more, you know, 50, 60, 70% of their income comes in during the month of Ramadan. So it was, it was you know, it was, it was a very difficult time. It was very challenging. But I honestly didn't feel too stressed about it. I thought, okay, alhamdulillah, it's from God. It's a challenge from God. Let's look, at, let's, let, let's sit down, let's reflect, let's see what we can do. And, and so that, that sort of very calm thinking allowed me to despite the stress despite the the pressure of us needing to raise so much money in ramadan and stuff because we have these projects around the world that are dependent on this on this money coming in you know it it, it puts everything into perspective right when you go through you know when you have this resilience it's like okay it's a challenge it's a test what are we going to do and i was able to approach it in that sort of calmer way and i think that that calmness i think you know helped the team and we were able to immediately we, we came together we had a discussion and we immediately pivoted our plans and and put in put in place plans that allowed us to have the most successful ramadan in the history of islamic relief so hardships for me are 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 those moments in life that really stand out in helping me to develop as a character 
uh, and in my, in my in my professional life. So I, I I look at them as blessings. Thank you so much for sharing that insight um, with us to Phil. I think on a personal level, that's so important for me to constantly reframe how I understand resilience. It's uh, oftentimes I think I've conflated it with passively enduring something. You say passively? Passive endurance. So that, that that for me, that's patience, not 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 resilience. Yes, exactly. And I think that definitely does have its place. And um, I think even in my own personal life, I've had so many moments where I can say I passively endured something and it's taken me to moments um, where I've where I've had to be resilient and I, I haven't always quite separated the two or known just how proactive I can be in a certain stage of my life and just how much patience can be a stepping stone to those moments that you know you really bounce back as you said it's just struck me that everything that you've gone through in between that time um, carved you into the person uh, that you are now serving people who are going through similar hardships all over the world and that speaks so much to the value of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's timing and the role difficulty and suffering can sometimes play in our in our lives can I just quickly share something on the back of what you just yeah. said and I, I remember that on the evening of um, when my son died and when he was taken away um, he was taken away to the morgue which was very difficult for us because you know it's your child right it's not there with you anymore uh, and, I, and I came home and I sat there and I went on to f Facebook at the time just to try to take my mind away from it and, and I immediately saw a post of a child in in, um, in Myanmar, a Rohingya child that had been brutally murdered, and it was a picture. And I just I was immediately able to again put into perspective my suffering because my child was taken through a natural, you know, an accident, and here is a child that's been brutally murdered. What must his parents be going through, seeing their child in that in that state, and feeling so helpless they can't do anything about it? And so God sent me that message at that time that you know, you are going through difficulty, but there are others that are going through greater difficulty. And it's important to remember them. When when my son's funeral happened, I shared that story in my speech to the the congregation, and I was immediately able to to to, to share a story of children across the world that are suffering parents that are suffering in a greater way and so you know alhamdulillah again it was going back to my sense of purpose right it's about even in my hardship and my difficulty i was able to highlight the suffering that people are going through across the world which i believe is on another level despite the difficulty that i went through the case of that rohingya child was just heart heartbreaking for me so that that experience helped me to reaffirm my purpose, and to strengthen that. And if I can just say something about the difference between patience and resilience, in my very simple words, patience, when you're going through hardship, to be patient is to almost be at ease with what you're going through, to adapt to it. Resilience is bouncing back from it. Resilience is actually not letting it sort of hold you back. You know, um, I think it's Imran Khan that said that it's not the defeat that will kill you. It's the giving up. Uh, and, and resilience is, you know, for me, it's God, God has promised that he will never test us beyond, uh, beyond our means to be able to handle that test. That's a promise. So if we really want to, we can bounce back from hardship. We just need to be positive. We need to be strong. 
We need to be surrounded by people that will help us through that difficult time. But it's not impossible to bounce back, even from the most extreme of hardships. And for me, there's nothing more difficult in life than to lose your child. And even as, as strong a character as you might be, you need good people around you. And, I, and I've always, by the will of Allah, alhamdulillah, blessing from Allah, that I've always been surrounded by really good people that, that, uh, that have helped me. And of course, ultimately God that has helped me. Thank you so much, Tafel. Um, mm. I was just thinking about when, uh, when you were viewing that Facebook picture of the Rohingya children um, after having coming, uh, come back from the morgue. It reminded me a little bit about um, Sarah and I a lot of the time will be speaking about something or have just experienced something. And then we open like social media or mm. whatever it is and we come across like an ayah or a hadith and then straight away, like a completely random kind of image um, with a quote and it will relate to our situation completely yeah. and subhanAllah like nothing um, not nothing in our lives yeah, yeah nothing is a coincidence and even you seeing that um, seeing that photo of the Rohingya mm. children you know like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted you to see that mm. and you know there's a reason for it and you then helping those children and all of the work that you're doing at Islamic Relief like um, we only make dua that you know yeah. your son and all of these children that you're benefiting and helping and caring for around the world through Islamic Relief and through the means of other charities that you worked for in the past. Like, inshallah, we pray that you know they greet you in Jannah. Mm, it it's something that will allow you to you know drive you to towards your goal. It will drive you on your mission towards your goal. It's something that will allow you to fight through hardships. It will give you that resilience, which is built, of course, by going through hardships. But if you have that sense of purpose, that's something ultimately you will remember and that will motivate you even in the midst of that hardship. And I, 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 I've got a great analogy about the, the mountain. And let's just imagine you're, 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 you're stood in front of this huge mountain and you look up and you think, oh, it would be nice to maybe get to the top of that mountain because the views would be amazing, right? that's not going to be enough to get you up to the mountain, to the top of that mountain, right? Because then you start thinking, oh, that's going to take me about four hours. I'm going to have to go through difficulty. I'm going to be tired. I've got work tomorrow. Da, 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 da. You're going to make lots of excuses and then you won't, and you just walk on, right? But you'll imagine it for a little while. It'd be nice when you imagine it, but then you walk on. Now I had a sense of purpose. And your sense of purpose is that you want to get to, you're, you're taking part in a fundraising initiative, mm -hmm. right? To get to the top of that mountain. And so that's, it's a sense of purpose, alhamdulillah, and, and it, it will motivate you. But even on the morning when you wake up, you know, you'll think, oh, God, can I really be bothered doing this? I've raised the money now. You know, maybe I can just phone in sick or like tell him I can't do it. Or, you know, I can only just, I walk halfway up because people don't need to know that I've gone to the top because I've raised the money, right? So all these thoughts will come in. So, but, but you'll do it anyway. You'll get to the top reluctantly as you're going through, you know, you're walking, you get tired and you immediately sit down, you take your time. So what would be four hours could take five, six, eight, ten hours, right? But ultimately you get to the top. Now add a deeper sense of purpose. Imagine that someone is up there that you love and whose life you have to save. You will climb that mountain as fast as possible, not thinking about how difficult it will be. You know, navigate every hardship. You won't take much rest because you need to get your speed is of the essence. And you will it will drive you to your goal. That's the benefit of sense of purpose for me. If you have that, and if you have a goal along with that sense of purpose, 
then really there is there's not much that can hold you back. For me, I, I, I you know, there, there's uh, we recruit a lot of people, and I, I, I don't look for IQ. I look for I will. I look for people that have drive, ambition, and passion, because they're the ones that will change the world. And if you look at all of the great leaders of the past, the greatest leaders are those that had a sense of purpose. People like Nelson Mandela. Because of that sense of purpose, he endured decades of hardship in prison, away from his family. But he never lost that sense of purpose because it was, it was something that he was so passionate about. And despite going through an experience that would have broken most people, he came out of prison and he literally changed the world for South Africans. You know, he, he, enabled, he, he allowed them to navigate some very difficult challenges. You know, these, uh, the, the, the white community had persecuted the black community. You know, the, their children had been killed. So many, you know, apartheid was horrific for that community. But Mandela was able to come out and he was able to inspire people to forgive. And normally, you know, that community, once they, you know, if, if a community has been persecuted, they come into power, they're going to want revenge. But because of his strength of character, because of his sense of purpose, he was able to convince people because he had that legitimacy, because he's gone through that hardship, because, he had that, because he's been that leader, to convince people, to persuade people to forgive each other. Of course, South Africa has challenges, but apartheid is no more. And that's because of that man and his team that had that sense of purpose. I've got chills just because I think this is one of those episodes where you've we basically just managed to encompass some of the things that weigh the heaviest on our hearts. So mm. things like, you know, colour and then obviously the question of suffering and and why we go through such hardships and how, you know, we transform those things. I, I feel like I've been on a roller coaster. Mm. Um and uh thank you so much for, for sharing your, you know, personal and professional um, story with us because uh, encapsulates a lot of the things that we care deeply about here um, not just mm. at IRUK but also just as individuals yeah, and, and their personal lives yeah. and yeah subhanAllah like I think one of the biggest lessons I've taken away from everything you've, that you've said to Fel is um, just going back to the fact that you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never give us more than we mm. can bear um, and just going back to when you mentioned that you know losing a child is the hardest thing that anyone mm. would ever go through you know, like you're a prime example of like, mashallah, like coming out of um, a hardship and using your hardships as a mean to do good in this world mm. um, and to benefit others. And, you know, even within Islamic Relief, like there is there are so many stories that you've told us at meetings and reminders that you've given to the staff just to keep us going. And the experiences that you've had on the field um, and the really kind of devastating um, things that you've witnessed. So thank you so much for sharing um, and just kind of echoing what Sara said. Um, so to Val, to kind of end our very incredibly inspiring yeah. um, conversation with you, we'd like to ask you something a little bit different. Um, and that is, who would you have as a dinner guest? Um, you can pick anyone from any period of time. <laughs> um, yeah, would you be willing to tell us? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa No one else. Um, I'm going to make it a little bit more trickier for you to felt and ask you um, if you could ask the Prophet one thing, what would it be? If the blessed Prophet Muhammad was on my dinner table, 
and there are so many things that you start thinking about that you could ask but the one thing i would ask him is is what what ultimately drove him to what ultimately drove him to propagate the faith of islam because the prophet peace be upon him went through extreme hardships extreme hardships but he never gave up never gave up you know his followers around him were were being persecuted were being killed and he would still find words to encourage them even in the midst of their persecution you know when bilal radiyallahu an um was was out in the sands you know he he would it was known that he would go around he was in, he was in a position where he couldn't unfortunately stop the, uh, the the you know the the pain that they were going through the torture but he would still go around and he would give words of encouragement to them then they were made to leave their home and it's not like today where you know we leave we we move around all the time right and for us moving is not a problem but for them to leave their home that was something completely alien to them and it was something so undignified so difficult and challenging for them they were made to leave not just any home but mecca which was known as you know the the most spiritual city in the world uh or for the certainly for the arabs and and so despite all of that he never gave up on his mission losing his you know when he went through the most difficult year when he lost his wife khadija radhiyallahu anha uh you know he lost a ch- he lost he lost children uh, they 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 you know they, at uhud they suffered that defeat despite all of these challenges they went through poverty extreme poverty you know um but despite all of that he went to the point where you know he would he would tie stones to his stomach to 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 try and sort of you know um almost like sort of che- you know sort of cheat the stomach to think that it's full right because by by reducing the space to try and overcome the pangs of hunger they went through extreme difficulty but despite all of that he maintained his passion for the mission sallallahu alaihi wasallam he continued to be this mission he was optimistic he was enthusiastic he was constantly sort of you know giving glad tidings to his to his followers So what what was the fact what was it that drove him to be able to overcome all those hardships and difficulties and to maintain that mission I found it really interesting that you deconstruct the idea of the prophet peace be upon him being like some superhuman infallible figure like we forget so often that he sallallahu alaihi wasallam was mm-hmm. human and that you know we're all given free will and mm-hmm. even the prophet peace be upon him had free will you know as guided as he was you know even though he had like direct revelations he always had a choice mm-hmm. to do the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him to do and guided him to do and 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 not um and i think that that's the very real tangible kind of lesson we can take from from him you know it's very interesting what you just said is very interesting people forget we all we always think the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as, as a superhuman being right as a super being as someone that maybe was like superman right didn't feel pain prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam felt pain he went through emotions he had doubts as well you know he went through doubts when things weren't going right um so he was as human as anyone else uh, uh, and in that in in his life in every aspect of his life sallallahu alaihi wasallam there is a lesson for us and and the lesson about overcoming hardships the best lesson is from him sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
it's just been such a pleasure talking to you and um, to reaffirm what I said earlier it's just been a real roller coaster of emotions and it's been like Nabila said very very inspirational mm-hmm. so um, thank you for joining us yeah thank you so much um, we've both learned so much and um, see you in the office tomorrow <laughs> I, I thank you both for your time for, for your brilliant efforts on the podcast uh, and I hope that what I say is of some benefit and I hope that you edit out all the bad bits <laughs> Thank you guys.